Kia ora, welcome to Balance X Future Farming, where we chat to experts about some of the big issues impacting farmers and growers in Aotearoa. We're breaking down the science behind these things to figure out practical solutions. I'm your host Tangaro Walker, a Kiwi farmer based down in Southland and founder of Farm for Life. Today we're talking about land use diversification. This is about finding different ways to use farmland to get the most out of it and seeing where the opportunities are. I'm joined today by Dr Robin Dines, a sustainable production expert from Ag Research. Robin is an expert in sustainable food systems and production, particularly in the face of today's challenges. We also have Warwick Keto, the Science Strategy Manager at Balance Agri-Nutrients. Warwick has co-authored a bunch of scientific papers, he is a board member at FERT Research and has been a leader in policy development in the fertiliser industry for more than 25 years. So let's pull up our socks, slap on those gumboots and jump right into it. Awesome to be having a all with you guys about something that I, uh, I'm very passionate about. So being a Māori boy brought up around the marae and uh, being a kai gatherer since way back, it was my, my job to go out and get the eels for tangi and go out and set the nets and um, go up pig hunting and try and capture whatever kai we can get and bring it down to the marae when there was a tangi on or a birthday. And so I had these values around looking after the environment and Kaitiaki tanga, I suppose. And so these values are really close to me. But then I merged into being a young farmer and started off hosing out and, you know, all of this cow poo and, and water was going going up down the concrete lane and we're spreading it out onto our paddocks and, you know, obviously seeing really good bottom line come out when I first started. And I've really struggled to find out where the, where the X marks the spot between looking after our environment and uh, but also getting a bottom line to run a sustainable business um, that, you know, we can happily feed our families. And so this conversation is really exciting for me, and I think a whole lot of people with similar values. Um, so do you guys want to just have to give us a bit of a rundown as to what this means for us as an industry, finding out what te taiao is and, and mātauranga Māori, and, but then also uh, trying to figure out where we can still get a good bottom line? In terms of land use diversification, what are we talking about there? So when we think about land use diversification, I think it's what we're doing now. And, and look, we already have a very diversified landscape. Yes, we have seen the widespread expansion of dairying, for example, but dairying does not dominate every landscape at all. So diversification, I think, is about the kind of systems we run now, whether they're sheep and beef or dairy, the diversification might be when we change how we're running those existing systems. We might bring other enterprises in, or as we've seen previously, we might sell a farm. So farms in the Bay of Plenty might be sold Warwick in your backyard. They might have been historically dairy farms. What are they now, Warwick? Avocado orchards? So I think diversification is as broad as New Zealand is diverse. Yeah, I agree. And um for example, what you've seen in dairy systems, you know, I like to think differentiate diversification from land use change. And 
people automatically assume land use change means changing from, example, sheep and beef to forestry or out of dairy, whereas in fact, as Robin intimated, it's changes within systems. So introducing wintering barns, for example, or going from a system one to five or from a system five to one dairy farm, for example, it doesn't necessarily mean that you totally change that because there's some significant barriers to those that changes. Every farmer knows in Aotearoa what the consumers are wanting. Better water quality, prevent nutrient loss, they want more biodiversity around farms. What does that mean for us? So for our social licence to farm, we need to meet New Zealanders' needs, and that's about water quality, about biodiversity, about caring for our animals, about doing all that stuff right. I agree, Robin. There's two markets. There's our domestic social licence, which is driving some of the diversification, land use change thinking, and then there's what does the international market want to buy and the attributes of the produce they're buying. And so how is diversification going to help our environment? I think diversification on its own simplistically won't necessarily help our environment. I'd use the word considered diversification. And, you know, if we had our time again, you you think of uh, daring moving into Canterbury and South, and it probably still would, but perhaps the way we set up our farms and design them and the infrastructure investments we made might be different if we did it again. I think that's one of the lessons we should learn going forward is thinking about as we look for alternative land uses or changing our farm system, having a future focus around what those issues might be. And so climate change is one for saying, actually, perhaps the more fundamental issue we need to think about going forward with our farm systems is water availability, water scarcity. How might we deal with that? Or what is our greenhouse gas footprint? I think also, Warwick, it depends where you're standing in the landscape. If we're standing facing some of those areas you used to go pig hunting in, there are parts of diversification there where we fence off and let regenerating native bush happen faster and, in fact, get out there and get more pigs out of it so it regenerates faster. Where are the environmental winds there? It's biodiversity. It's also potentially reducing sediment loss work. So in those parts of the landscape, that's where we might deliver benefits. And that's ticking many boxes then. And there will come at a cost because we will need to fence those. We will need to manage pests and weeds to get the best outcome in terms of the biodiversity and the amount of carbon we're sequestering. Other parts of the landscape, I think there are realities that in some catchments, we are likely to need to take a long-term view about what the farmers and the community in those catchments want it to look like going forward. And that's where we need the science to say, where will changing some of the practices in there make the biggest impact on those environmental outcomes? So that's around, are there parts of the landscape that if we put a riparian planting in or we put a wetland in or we let the native regeneration happen that will get even bigger impact? So I think that's where science needs to help farming and communities figure out how we deliver the biggest outcome for the environment and balance the realities of these are free market businesses. And their people's values and livelihoods and passion, all of that is tied up in these farming businesses. So, Robin, just touching on that, for all the farmers out there that are listening, we are obviously base all of our facts around science, and science is awesome and we need it, but it also has brought in a whole lot more costs to our farming business operation. And because all of these stats have been brought to our attention, all of a sudden things are being measured and our bills have gone through the roof, 
therefore, our, to have run an economical business obviously means we need to try and push production and get as much protein or fat from the land so we can pay for all of these new costs that are hitting us in the face as farmers because I know a lot of guys are spending probably two to three weeks more per year in the office than they would have done five years ago. Now, where do you think that balances between environmental and economic uses of our land as farmers? Yeah, that's a really tough question, isn't it? So one, we we need regulation that is fit for purpose. So it's fit for the area that it sits in, and we do need scientific data to support that. So what does it mean on farm? Hopefully technology will continue to make it easier for you to report what you need to report and to measure and monitor. So we need that to get more cost effective, both in terms of dollars and time. It must become easier and easier for you to do that. So we must have these integrated farm plans and this integrated data connection to make it easier. So part of doing that is costing more money. And, you know, right at the moment, payouts are good across all of our sectors, but that's not going to continue. And we know New Zealand's advantage has been in that low-cost production system. So how are we going to achieve that? I think you're right. I think that's a really big thing for our farmers. So we've got to get smart in how we measure, manage, and report. And we need everybody in the spectrum from the farmer through to central government to get smarter in how we do that. It's an increasing reality across all of our businesses in New Zealand. Compliance is costing us more. Got to make it easier. We've got to get paybacks too, don't we? So where is the value add for you in that data that you do? And so when you make a decision about whether to put bought-in supplement into your system, then make sure you're getting the marginal return on it. So I think that's the other opportunity. If we're going to put these things in, we need the return. So you need the tools and the system, and maybe spending that time in the office has an upside if you think more about whether that decision is actually going to deliver to the bottom line or not. And the bottom line is social, cultural, environment, and economic, isn't it? Absolutely. Just in terms of it becoming more profitable, it's never measured. If I look after my land and reduce the amount of milk sellers that come off it, all of a sudden our land's a lot more profitable, right, because we've diversified the way that we use our farm. There's no way of measuring that in terms of going out there and and saying, oh, look, you know, our land's now worth $30 more because you've done this, that, and the other. Can you just give me a bit of a rundown as to how that works? Like if we start diversifying our, our land use, how does that make the land more profitable? Is that a tough question? Because the studies have shown that that's true. But for me as a farmer, I don't understand it because all of my KPIs are based around the milk solids that leave the farm gate. DRNZ's done a lot of studies around milk solids production or imported feed versus profit. And, and essentially what it comes down to is the skills of the manager rather than the system they are running. And so the investment that drives profit is in you, is in your skills, improving your skills, the efficiency of your system, rather than whether you're a system one or a system five. I think that's that's the opportunity of profit is upskilling yourself and your staff and your systems is where that comes from, rather than necessarily which system you elect to enjoy to farm. I'll just give you a quick little yarn about a meeting we had last week. And so we had our, our on-farm AGM and... I took them around to have a bit of a look at our creeks and just briefly touched on the amount of uh, native fish that I'd uh, seen within about five metres of the stream. Now, I walked this whole stream when I first moved onto the farm five years ago, 
and we only seen two native fish walked about two kilometres up the stream that comes through our farm. We seen five the other day within five metres. So that's roughly one every metre through this, this area of the farm. And so when I showed that to our shareholders, talk to them about all the all the cool things that we've done on farm to try and, you know, bring a bit of life back to um, the small stream that comes through our farm. They didn't really care about that. One of them actually made the comment, we don't get paid for that. And so the question is, as a farmer that's coming through with all of this environmental and the leadership requirement to produce protein, we have this mindset down the bottom and people are employing us to run their farms what are your thoughts around how we sort of navigate this space? Because this is really what I'm trying to talk about, where that balance is. So we need diversification probably that has less livestock. You know, diversification that's not livestock would be incredibly valuable and it's really difficult. So we need all of those things and we have to give farmers the transition time because these are businesses that have invested in good faith and most are doing the right thing. Talking about diversified uh, land use, does that mean diversified income as well? Diversified income streams from the, that diversified land use? Yes, potentially. And look, I can take you to a farm I've been on in the Bay of Plenty that has beef cows, avocado orchard and dairy cows. That's a very cool business. It's got really good diversification. We've already seen the cross-sector connectivity. I think we'll see more of that in catchments. And so we'll see where can we drive more circularity to deliver to the bottom line of environment and the bottom line of financials. So is there more opportunity there? I think what we'll see in the shorter term work as part of these transitions. So the obvious one for the dairy industry is bobby calves, the integration, which we've been talked about for decades, about what do we do with those? So uh, we can do so much with sex semen and what have you, but looking at how we integrate the red meat beef industry with dairy industry a lot more. It's interesting, though, if you talk about diversification, and I know Foundation for Arable Research has done quite a bit of work on this about future crops and that, you know, you can grow lots of stuff, but is there a market for it is the fundamental thing. So, you know, people could rush into radish seed or clover seed, but we already produce 60% of the world's supply. So, so if a few other growers plant a bit more area, suddenly you'll flood the market. And avocados is a good example of that at the moment. The Australian market, which is our core market for avocados, has been the market prices have dropped significantly because of oversupply. So if you're thinking diversification, you've got to think about income mix, risk, skills, but also your market and actually nailing you know, is there, is there a long-term market uh, down your way? Sheep milk, they've had various cracks at doing sheep milk after the last 20, 30 years. And can we milk sheep? Yes, we can. The fundamentals is, have we got a channel market that is uh, viable and, and we can keep going? I think the farming community understand how difficult it is to diversify beyond our big to meat and milk, don't we? I think the other thing we have to do is watch what is happening globally. So, you know, there are places in the US now that new mums can take a sample of their breast milk and have a company supply them with formula made in the lab. So if that technology becomes available globally, 
then what does that suddenly mean for the growth and things like, you know, our reliance on infant formula as a pathway to market? So we've got to be watching those things as well, Warwick, don't we? And to Warwick's point, it's all about the market because particularly sitting here in Canterbury, there's a myriad of things that our farmers could grow tomorrow. But where do we get enough value, Warwick, to make it viable? And viable at scale, because we need enough scale to have the, the processing plants, the cool stores, you know, what our red meat and dairy cooperatives have done for us. Any other industry needs enough scale to be able to produce and process. And that's where New Zealand is really limited. Yeah, definitely. Eh? That scale obviously means reduced costs, so more profit. Is it beneficial for us as farmers to start looking at diversified incomes? Um, you know, we can go from a $9 payout down to a $5 payout, just like that, leaving us, uh, you know, in the hole a little bit with all of the same costs because everything, as quickly as everything goes up, when the payout goes up, definitely doesn't drop down when it drops. But having that diversified income is obviously going to sort of give us a little bit of a, a safe landing, really. It's interesting, there was some work done about three or four years ago looking at the primary reason farmers change land use or intensify or increase the size of the farm. You know, and of that, only 10% of those who changed, it was around lack of financing. Over 50% of the decision-making was driven around lifestyle. So a lot of it's lifestyle and your exposure to risk. Yeah, definitely. So we've got this issue. We can either change the whole farm system, meaning going from a system five to a system one or a system three, or we can diversify our land use within our farm. I know farmers that have, taking out sort of 20 hectares of their farm and, and producing kiwi gold and making more profit off that 20 hectares than they are off the 80 in dairy. Obviously, that's awesome for them. What does that mean for us as farmers? Is it, are we better off to change the whole system or change a small part of the farm and diversify? Maybe if we stand back and look at where we've come from and where we find ourselves now with some catchments under pressure, maybe we would argue thinking about diversification as opposed to wholesale could be a really smart way. So let's think about what we want our landscape to look like and say, there's this area on my farm that is really suited to something else. Then you've got a couple of choices around how to do that. One is to bring in another investor and maybe someone else with skin in the game who knows how to grow that alternative. And for our livestock farmers, I think it's probably about something that's not livestock because that will deliver to that bottom line of water quality and greenhouse gas emissions, and it will diversify income. But, so it may well potentially reduce, improve water quality, et cetera, but in some areas, some of these horticultural crops, for example, consume more water than a dairy farm does. So, in fact, you might say, yeah, this looks really good, but in fact, the resources aren't available, the water's not available to do that. And in some parts of the North Island where they're looking at that, the issue is, sure, they could do it, but the water's not there to do it. So you've got to do some really good analysis. So Warwick, that's one of the things in the our land and water research that I'm leading is about those holistic indicators. Let's ensure when Tangaroa and his colleagues are thinking about these things that they've got the full set of indicators not just the financial cost of doing it and the financial return, it's each of those things. And it includes, for example, if you put that in, you're going to need this number of people available to harvest it. So it's having that really holistic and open view of all of the consequences and the unintended consequences of that decision. 
let's say someone is uh, just about to buy their first farm, might be a little farm, and they've taken all of this knowledge that we've sort of given them and, and talked about trying to solve the world issues. How do they actually go out and implement what we've talked about on their farm? Where do they start? I think they need to get a trusted set of people around them that they can trust. I would certainly go and visit a few operations to understand what what it is because at the end of the day, presumably it's a partnership, a, a young couple or something doing that. They've got to be able to sleep at night. They don't want to end up being divorced in five years' time because it actually turned out being too hard. So, you know, they need to say what do they want out of life, where do they want to get to. So for me, that's the number one thing. And then talk to a range of people. Their finances will have a good idea through their client bases, who's making money and who's how different things. And they have a good accountant, business structure right. Talk to the regional council. There's a lot of free resources in regional councils. A lot of regional council and district councils have done diversification studies. Robin, you might know about that, but I if you Google that, a lot of regional councils have that. They've looked at their region and said, what if, what can we do? Um, and probably that would be my approach. Sit down, do the homework first, but then ultimately it boils down to what do you want to do yourself? It's that lifestyle because you don't want to do something that's profitable and have a grumpy life. Absolutely. So understand what your 5, 10 and 50-year goals are. I would say figure out the farm first. So spend some time farming it as you had, you know, and however it's been farmed, what makes sense for you. And then if you're looking at diversification, there are lots of resources available, but you're right, it's about that balance of how am I going to deliver to my future goals, but the goals that I'm required to deliver to, which will be to water quality and greenhouse gas emissions. But you've got to really want to do it too, don't you? You know, the very best farmers are the farmers that are deeply passionate and deeply engaged, whether they're growing kiwi fruit or producing milk in Southland. Also, I think we will see a future perhaps with more diversification so we can meet these wider goals and see what opportunities you've got. But you're right, Warwick, there'll be others in the area already doing it. So how do you pick the best pieces from that and make it work for you? Wicked. And so just touching on that, the people that do move into better land use or diversification of land use, obviously suffering the loss of income from that productive land because of navigation into different ways of farming that land. Those people are really passionate about something and that's driven them to be farm owners. Like I went contract milking at a young age because I wanted to be better than my bosses that I was working for. That's why I wanted to be self-employed and I wanted to offer better opportunities to young people coming in. And my drive for farm ownership is the exact same thing because I have this mindset that my farm owners don't have and they're not on the same journey as me. Therefore, I want to buy a block of land and produce milk more efficiently and obviously diversify. If that knowledge is out there, where do we start? And like, how much does it cost? Obviously, you can get we can get a little bit of uh, bit of support around riparian planting and fencing off our waterways. What other options are there for us? Warwick touched on a, a key point. The difference between many farming systems comes down to the management. And I think it's not about going in and saying, we're going to do this on this piece of land that we've bought. It's about saying, what are all the options? If we're currently dairy farmers, how can we do this differently? You've got a, a unique set of values you're going to bring to this as well by nature of your upbringing. And so I would imagine that you will have a, an orchard and a vegetable garden if you can, because that matters to about a share kai. There's a lot of information. It's just not very easy for people that are not inside it to find it, is there? 
And I think because the world's becoming more complex, you're going to have to engage with more people. But as you say, pitch it out there and let them come to you. Always ground your decisions and evidence, though, that you're not going to get wiped out by a frost. The evidence that it will perform as you expect, and then give yourself the knowledge that you can achieve it because your management will be better. I just want to just go back to the fact that these people are going to be moving into this space. They've got all the ideas up here, but the pockets are now empty. Sometimes they're going to be forced to do things that they don't want to do in order to get to where they want to get to. Have you guys got any thoughts around navigating that space financially? There's not going to be a quick return. It's a big investment. So this is a really interesting point, isn't it? And perhaps a point where the world is changing. So are you prepared to share ownership of part of your land with others who have a passion for making a difference and have the cash? And they're going to need to be the others who are in there for the long haul. So they're doing it for reasons other than return on their cash. And I think perhaps that's what we'll see differently. We already see it with crowdfunding. So how might that be applied to what you do? Who's going to invest? And remember, they're investing in you and your story. Wicked. Yeah, and I think that your native fish in the waterway would be attractive to a number of investors who'd say, actually, those are the values that we want out of our farm. As Robin says, you know, you'll find that there'll be people who are prepared to invest and back you because your values align with their values. So, guys, what excites you the most about future of farming in New Zealand, Aotearoa? What's exciting about it? I'm, I'm really excited now because of the gold that has just been uh, talked about in our little corridor there. You go first, Robin. What are you excited about? My excitement is the people. It's people like yourself and particularly the influence you bring when you bring Maori values alongside Western values. That massive opportunity for New Zealand – Our farming and our farming practices are in really good hands if we reflect back to people like yourself who are driven to do the right thing and driven to make a difference. And we've got so many farmers like that. So I'm excited by where our farmers are going to take us. And I want to make sure our science is relevant to you guys going forward. So thanks for the opportunity. Kia ora. What are your thoughts here, Warwick? Generally, the thing that excites me is the security and demand for New Zealand products is only going to grow in the future. So our prosperity, I think, is really going to be wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. I um, just want to touch on the ability to share top quality knowledge from the horse's mouth to the gumboots using technology is going to revolutionise the way that we farm at scale, uh, reaching all corners of Aotearoa. So That's what I'm excited about. And I suppose picking through the hay to try and find all of those needles like yourselves who can occupy, you know, the right places and and give that knowledge in a way that's consumable for these young guys coming into the industry. So I think it's going to be a really quick pivot in terms of the way that we farm and our values that we hold close to us as farmers. So um, yeah, that's what I'm excited about. But um, look, Warwick and Robin, it's been awesome to have a court all with you guys. Thanks for taking the time out of your guys' day to jump on here and have a bit of a corridor, share your guys' knowledge, your guys' vision uh, for the future. And um, yeah, look forward to hearing from you guys soon. You're up. You're up. I've got to be honest, this was awesome. This chat is exactly what we need to hear and what I think many farmers who are out moving into this space want to hear too. What I picked up is that there's no black or white on what the right decision is when it comes to land use diversification. It's about knowing your land really well, connecting with others who can share what they've done, 
planning ahead and being flexible and spotting the opportunities. I especially liked what Warwick and Robin said about learning from others, getting out into the community to learn how they balance productivity and sustainability and taking the best learnings about alternative land use from others and making it work for you. Thanks so much for listening and joining in on the discussion and special thanks to our guests Robin and Warwick. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Tell all your mates. Nga mihi whanau, catch you next time.